0: All right, so my guest today, Bill, uh, was born in the 1950s and grew up in a time where, and I say this somewhat tongue-in-cheek, men were men, right, quote-unquote. He grew up in a culture, he had a dad who was a World War II veteran, and it was a time in which, you know, men weren't supposed to be sensitive, they weren't supposed to be emotional or empathetic, by and large, right, obviously, but that was kind of the cultural norm, and that was always a struggle for Bill. Um, he had this sensation or sense that, that he was more sensitive, (laughs) that he was more emotional, but he was constantly being asked or told to suppress that, to, to be a man. And it wasn't until much later in life that he realized he actually had uh, a personality trait known as highly sensitive. He's He's a highly sensitive person. Um, and there's actually a lot of science and literature about it that he eventually became familiar with. Uh, he was a psychology major himself and ultimately became an author and wrote some books on the topic because he himself for much of his life was grappling with this, trying to figure out kind of where does he fit in? Is he enough of a man? Is it some sort of flaw in his, in his um, personality or in who he is? And as he learned more about it, as he started to embrace it more, and that's his his most important value is kind of being authentic to yourself, and in his case, authentically embracing his high sensitivity, he started to realize um, what it actually was. And that actually 20% of the population has this, and there's actually a very functional, adaptive purpose to it. Um, and all this made for a really interesting conversation where we dove into both his personal journey of, of kind of going through this as, as a child, and as he learned more about it, and how he now has dedicated much of his life through his books and his work to try and help other men and, and younger boys that may have this trait embrace it uh, and feel like they have permission to just be themselves, which is a crazy idea in and of itself, right? Um, but we also, as you might imagine, we got into some of the philosophical and societal implications of this. Uh, in very much the spirit of the show, You know, we tried to ask the questions, if we, if we really look at it, is it adaptive or is it maladaptive to have this trait? Um, do we think older generations of men in particular, but but also women, w- will they ever fully embrace this and be okay with the idea that, that certain men are just highly sensitive and, and what comes with that? Um, you know, we, we talked about people like his dad who, who fought in World War II, would they have been able to do that if, if they didn't suppress some of these traits and, and all different topics like that, which some of them questions meant to be intentionally provocative as we explored this. Um, but what was great was given how knowledgeable Bill is on the topic, and how thoughtful he was, he had some really great insights and responses to these questions that allowed us to really explore some different aspects of human nature, of masculinity and femininity, of being highly sensitive, Um, and and again, remembering through all of this, that this is just one trait of of somebody's personality, right, about 20% of the population, it's not the whole of what they are, so how does it all fit together and fit in, so just a really interesting discussion. for somebody like me, who who has, uh, you know, if I got yelled at in school when I was a child, I would cry instantly. This made me think a lot about, hey, you know, how, how do, where do I fall on that spectrum of high sensitivity and what has it meant for my life? So really appreciate Bill for being on and sharing his story. And hopefully you guys enjoy the conversation. All right, Bill, thanks so much for being here today. Really appreciate it and excited to talk to you. I will go right to the first question of what's the value that's most important to you?
1: Okay, thanks, Derek. and thank you for having me. I appreciate yes. that. Um, that's a great question, and it's a question oddly enough. And I'm sixty-seven years old, right? So, it's a question that has garnered a lot of weight with me lately mm-hmm. uh, at this stage of my life. Now, I have a personality characteristic, a trait, temperament trait, as they call it, called sensory processing sensitivity, and I've written some books on it, and and I have a blog and a website and everything else and uh sensory processing sensitivity for the most part is probably popularly known as high sensitivity right and it affects men and women equally and there's a 30 percent of the human population has this and i'm getting to your question so give me just a second it's (laughs) a setup but one of the things that i struggled with when i first found out about this trait and of course you have it all your life so i've had it since i was a kid Um, was the idea that it's not a characteristic that's very easy to embrace with the terms of masculinity that we have uh, in our culture. And it's really worldwide. It's not just the Western or US or even UK. It's around the world. Men are expected to be sort of invulnerable, warrior-like, stoic, Mm -hmm. not expressing feelings and emotions and so forth and so on. So when I first found out about the trait, I said, yeah, that's me. That's perfect. I'm Elaine Arons, who happens to be the psychologist who discovered the trait and has written extensively about it. She wrote a great book uh, in the 90s. And I read the book and I kept thinking, you know, that's me. But, you know, I don't want to be called sensitive. I don't because all of my life I've heard that term in a negative way. So I didn't want to embrace that. And what I was doing was I was denying a part of who I was, my personality. And it took me about 10 years uh, of wrestling with this idea. I was in corporate work and took an early retirement, started writing a blog about this, which was easy for me to get comfortable with it. Uh, Did research, answered questions that I had about it, and I started to gain some confidence about the trait in me So here's the payoff. What is the thing that I value the most? Right now, it's authenticity. It's about being who I am and not being ashamed of it or not being afraid to admit it or not being able to come out and sort of embrace it. Mm. Now, it's just, it's a personality or temperament trait like introversion or extroversion. It is, it's not a disorder, anything like that. So part of my journey has been, especially in the last 10 years or so, is learning to embrace that trait and learning to show other men who have the trait um, that it's okay to be having this uh, sensory processing sensitivity or high sensitivity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even there's a real struggle, even in the community of people that have this trait about using the term sensitive. But again, getting back to your question, labels are labels are labels, right? At your core, at your essence. If this is who you are, that's the thing that's the important part about living life as authentically as possible and embracing the, those things that are you. Even if you're bucking up against a cultural norm or or something that that you've been taught is is the exact opposite of who you are. So um that was my answer to that question. I, I, I just said it, at 67, I think it's maybe a little bit, it's been a little push pull about trying to embrace this, but now I'm at a point where I really feel comfortable with it. Comfortable with it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Super interesting. Super interesting, Bill. So I guess let's, let's focus on the, uh, I'll use the term hypersensitivity. I know that's maybe the common phrase, but not the right one, but just for simplicity. Um, can we, can we dig into that a little bit just so people understand? Sure. I think it's sure. there's an intuitiveness to it, but um, maybe two questions just to ask you just to kind of table set. Um, one, is it, is it something like scientifically, is there something that's that, that, that explains that trait? Or is it, as you said, it's just a, it's just a personality trait. We don't really know how people form different versions of it. And then two, like what's, what's an example for somebody of what hypersensitivity would look like? Cause it's probably a spectrum I would imagine. And there's always some degree of sensitivity, but when you actually um. are classified with that, What's an example of what that looks like, maybe from your life or just in general?
1: Okay, it's a good question. Um, it is a scientific trait. It's a sensory processing sensitivity, as I said earlier, Was the, is the actual description for the trait. And it's defined in a larger theory about environmental sensitivity, mm-hmm. which is how an organism, and in our case, a human, interacts with the environment. How does the environment affect them, right? And you're absolutely right, it is a spectrum. And they, they're starting to map that out. So it's in the early stages, but we all know that everybody has a certain degree of sensitivity. And if you look at sensitivity, that word is how do you react to the environment, right? So they've done some sort of uh, delineation between different groups. There's the, and they use a flower metaphor. I don't know if that's the best thing to do, but that's what they've done. The high-end people, the ones you were calling hypersensitive, but actually, just want to correct you on that. Hypersensitivity is also a disorder. Okay, so oh, okay. that I mean, okay. that's not the same thing as high sensitivity. Pre- clarification. Uh, but there are some people that that are, are highly sensitive that may have some issues with hypersensitivity. But nevertheless, um, they classified those people in the high end as orchids. And 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 when you think about an orchid, I don't know if you've ever tried. Uh, raising them or even dealing with them once once you have them they're very finicky plants right and and if you if you don't give them the right environment they wilt and die and that's it they're beautiful absolutely gorgeous but you know they require special handling all right the group that's in the middle which would probably be the big middle if you look at a bell curve right are those people who are less sensitive uh than uh, those people who are at the bottom, but nevertheless, um, are more like uh, tulips, right? the That's the flower metaphor. They they do pretty well in most cases, and there's not usually not some issues with the environment. And at the lower end of the spectrum, you have what they call the uh, um, daisies. I think is the daisies or the uh, dandelions, mm. and those. Dandelions, you know, it's kind of a weed, grows anywhere, doesn't care what the environment is, it'll grow on the sidewalk if it has to. Those are the people that are least affected by the environment. So that's in a nutshell what sensitivity is uh, and high sensitivity is, is people on the higher end of the spectrum are more affected by the environment, okay? So it could be temperature, it could be emotional, it could be environmental, it could be whatever but their sensory systems are set up in such a way, this is the genetic component of this, that they process more sensory information. And so that information that's coming in gives them insights and intuition and helps them to become very creative. But at the same time, can be an overload, Mm -hmm. right? It can be, you can be overstimulated. I like to think of it like an aperture on a camera. If the aperture is more open, you get more light in and that's going to affect the way the the photograph uh, is going to look. If you close it, you get less, but that's more filtered, right? So you may get not get as much information on the uh, on the uh, photograph, but the the idea is that that is the filter and mechanism that you know makes the difference between you, you getting more information or less information. So that's kind of where highly sensitive people are. And there are four ca- characteristics, and I get into this real quick. So this is just a, a nice yeah, background. Yeah, it's Um, there you think of the acronym does D O E S. This is the kind of the benchmark that we're using now to describe high sensitivity. Okay. The D stands for depth of processing, highly sensitive people process information, a very deep, deep level. So they're deep thinkers, you know, almost, almost the philosophers of, of human beings, right. Is they think at a very deep level. Um, and a lot of times that means they are processing Uh, in a quiet way. And and it seems that they've disconnected from the world because of this processing that they do. So they read more things into the data that they get. And that's Mm -hmm. that depth of processing. The second letter O stands for overstimulation or overwhelm. And that happens to a lot of highly sensitive people. And that happens to all of us. Um, but highly sensitive people tend to be prone more to having that happen. That's something that people see, Mm -hmm. you know, you can see that. So if you've got a child or you've got a friend or your spouse or something that's highly sensitive and they're going through an emotional turbulent time, you're going to see that reaction, which may be withdrawal, which may be going away to go out in nature, take a hike, get away, and sort of kind of bring themselves back into a state of homeostasis again but that's something that's visible that other the world can see. But it is something that happens with highly sensitive people. The letter E is for emotional reactivity. Another thing that people see outwardly is this idea that highly sensitive people not only process data generally deeper, but emotions too. They feel deeper. They feel things at a deeper level. So let's say, for example, you watch a movie and maybe, you know, let's say there's 10 people watching and three of the 10 are highly sensitive. And if, at the end of the movie, it's an emotional move. You might see those three sensitive people with a tear in their eye or they're yeah. uh, you know, impacted more by the movie than the other seven are. That's that deep processing of emotion. Mm-hmm. The, the thing that goes with that is this other thing that we can use the letter E for, and that's empathy. Highly sensitive people are very empathetic. They care about people around them. They feel what other people are feeling. It's, this is not woo-woo stuff. And this is, it's just that we have, all of us have mirror neurons that we have in our brains that allow us to be empathetic with people. But highly sensitive people, for whatever reason it may be, whether it's qualitative or quantitative, they're more likely to be empathetic. So they're going to feel your pain, want to help you. And that's why so many of them are in the, highly sensitive people are in the helping professions, doctors, psychiatrists or psychologists, therapists, so forth and so on. They want to help people. And the last thing, so we get our sort of groundwork done here, is the letter S, and that stands for sensory, um, sensing the subtle in the environment. That's, This is that aperture thing I was talking about. You pick up more data, you're going to see things differently than other people do, because you'll see more stuff. I like to use a metaphor about a party. You're going to a party and it's the highly sensitive person that's likely going to notice the music's too loud or that the hors d'oeuvres are too salty or that there's perfume on somebody in the other end of the room and it's too much because our sensory uh, systems are set up in a way that they process that data more more often. They'll pick up the, the, the subtleties that are going on. And with all that said, the reason we even have highly sensitive people in the world, you think, oh, okay, this sounds like it's kind of a mixed bag of of, yeah. of different things that might be useful and sometimes not yeah. useful. Yeah, like
0: is it adaptive or maladaptive is at the end of the day. But, the, yeah. but,
1: but Dr. Aaron has, has sort of speculated and thrown out there this idea, and it seems to be catching on, uh, on as well as this idea, there is an evolutionary purpose for having this small group of people who are your wise counselors, who are your canaries in the coal mine, mm. who are your people that can say, you know, that may not be a good idea to drive the bus off the cliff, right? And and they're the ones who provide that kind of information to help the species survive. Mm. So there is a reason why highly sensitive people are here, even though in the modern world, you you kind of think, okay, what's the real purpose now? I think the real purpose now is that if you look at the state of our planet, you look at the state of our world, we need more empathetic people. We need more people to model what empathy and and, and nurturing and taking care of things is all about. And I think that's what highly sensitive people can do. So mm-hmm. wrap it up in a bow. That's kind of what the background is for high sensitivity. It isn't yeah. just about emotional people who are always reacting. It's wiring. It's, it's neuro, uh, neurology. It's... Uh, uh, biology and then it's also environmental stuff as well yeah
0: yeah well super interesting super interesting there's so many different ways to go with that i i, I think the route i'll take again let's see what the conversation takes us. is um some of the some of the implications of that maybe um so firstly i'll say maybe more of an observation but maybe you have a reaction to it it's interesting from a philosophical perspective and maybe i'm using that word too loosely but When you think about that connection between highly sensitive people and then becoming doctors nurses people that want to help people i'm not placing a value judgment on this but i wonder if the logic holds that in some ways the logic there is if they help people it it helps them because they are so acutely aware and sensitive to human suffering that it makes their life worse if people are suffering so I don't want to say it's not an altruistic thing because it's still good at the end of the day, but there's almost this dimension right. over this aspect of it, which is I have to go help those people because my sensory overload or, and all the things you explain, this is going to make my life worse off if those people are suffering. So it's a very direct connection correlation, which I think speaks to your point about from an evolutionary perspective, there's a lot of functionality in that to yeah. have people that have to go help others because yeah. it helps themselves. There's benefits. We, the well, man.
1: you know what, Terry, do, uh, there's a, uh, a group of uh, highly sensitive men that I I host I every month, and one of the guys is a ex uh, uh, policeman, ex uh, military guy, and he he is uh, has come up with this idea, this metaphor that it's like um, in early hunter-gatherer societies, there was a subset of the population. Uh, that were the healers. They were the ones that did the, the healing activities, whether it's mental or physical. They were the caregivers. Mm. And it wasn't just females. It was males and females that did this function. I'm thinking of terms like shamans and in uh, uh, medicine men and women and so forth, uh, or even those people who were like the priestly caste of, of individuals who did the sort of spiritual work, Um those would be what I would say would be a good metaphor for what highly sensitive people uh, are here for can be and probably should be. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, there's this. There's we are so far away from hunter-gatherer days, and yet we still carry over a lot of the stuff yeah. that w- that has gone. You know, some of the cultural norms that have. Yeah transition reconciled for, it really. yeah, like we're still are, act, yeah 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 thousands of years yeah. but anyway that's 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 a good what you were talking about is that. Yeah. that's perfect yeah. because that's exactly why they can't they can't ignore something like that that has yes. to be done
0: yes well let's get into the to the gender feminine masculine aspect sure. of it um maybe, maybe i'll start with you personally how, how was that struggle i mean as you said there's a cultural norm there for better or for right. worse probably for worse because i think authenticity your value to me i agree with that very much we should be who we are to the extent we're thoughtful about thinking about who we are but how was that being a highly sensitive person in a world at 66 now particularly the world 20 30 years ago is somewhat very different than it is today sure trying to live that life and 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 have that you know going about when you're when you're a man who's trying to go through the world
1: yeah, well, I grew I grew up, you know, I was born in the '50s, so I grew up in the '60s and '70s, and and during that time frame, there was really, and I grew up in the South of mm-hmm. the U.S., so I I there was a definite masculine set of traits that all men were supposed to live up to, boys, as well as young men. And for the most part, I mean, I was athletic, and I enjoyed that kind of stuff, and I I was. Uh, um, into sports and all that kind of thing, naturally it was okay for me to feel that way because I would, that was drawn to that. But there were things that were about the emotional part of the emotional aspect where I was, uh, you know, criticism and stuff like that, I took very personally, I took it very hard. Um, And you learn to beat that back, you know, that those feelings that you have that are natural and instinctive. And this isn't just true for highly sensitive, uh, people but it's true for anybody that a lot of times and especially with our man masculine culture being what it is which is highly idealized right um, about what men are supposed to be and not supposed to be uh, that becomes the mirror that you look at when you when you look at yourself am I matching up to that so it was a struggle and it always has been a struggle but just like anyone I guess growing up in a time where you're not so you're you're not fitting the mold or whatever you adapt and you adapt yourself to that. And again, this is, gets back to the authenticity part of it, which is that you know, you're, you're, you're not living the life in the manner in which you could or should because that's inconsistent with what the expectation is. And I had it drilled in my head by my father and, and grandfathers and so forth. Uh, my father was a highly sensitive man, mm-hmm. but he was rejecting that in himself And he was seeing it in me and was trying to get me to reject it uh, by, you know, saying things like, are you a man or a mouse? Or you need to stand up and be more of a man? Or you're too sensitive? Or blah, blah, blah. And eventually that conditioning starts to take hold and it becomes, you know, uh, incorporated into your ego. And so when I found out about high sensitivity, that was like, Boom, right? Okay. So I'm not weird in that way that this is a normal personality a temperament trait, but it's only shared by about 30% of the population. But they're at 30% of eight billion people. It's a lot quite a bit, right? Yes. It's not it's not a small number. So is it skewed more towards I'm just curious. Is it skewed more It's towards, absolutely down right down the middle. Right down the middle. 50-50. Wow. That's I mean, it's it they've done it over and over, you know, studies on that. Um and it appears that it's about 50-50 dis- distribution, male and female. So mm-hmm. it doesn't skew one way. You would think that it would do that, you know, because we naturally think women are more emotional yourself. and so forth. Yeah. It does not. It, mm-hmm. it does not at all.
0: So let's let's press on this, because in the spirit of the show, I, I, what I like to try and do here is is really explore things that um, ho- help us get the better insights and answers that sometimes we have to go places. So, so let me just cut to it and not caveat too much. Is there any validity to, I'm not suggesting there is, I'm I'm genuinely asking to explore this. Is there any validity to this sentiment that the culture we live in has created that your dad, it sounds like to some extent that you should suppress that, that for the greater good of society, for the betterment, maybe of the individual, maybe of the family. I I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure what it is. Let's explore it. But is there anything to that where there is validity that it's, Better if you suppress that. It's better if men, let's just say that, um, don't tap into that hypersensitivity and play more of the part. Because and, and the reason I ask that question is, I'll, I'll use the word evolved, and I'm not using it in the technical term, but culture did evolve to a place where men are viewed a certain way, women are viewed a certain way. I think there's a lot of things that are, are wrong with that, but. Sure. Why did it get to that point then? Is there function to it? Is there benefit to it that's worth acknowledging? And the answer may be no, but I'm just, have you thought about that? Is there anything to it? Yeah,
1: well, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, but let me, let me just say this. When I talk about um, redefining masculinity, I'm not talking about throwing masculinity under the bus, right? I'm a man, I'm proud of a lot of my masculine traits, right, that, that, that are shared by many men to your question about suppressing emotion, there's a difference between suppressing emotion and regulating emotion, okay? And I think for all adults, all human beings, learning to regulate emotion is an important thing. Highly sensitive people are never taught, generally speaking, how to regulate their high emotions, right? And that is something that I think Uh, that I've been trying to emphasize in the things that I talk about in the book, in the books that I've written and so forth. This is emotional regulation is a very important thing. Suppression is a whole nother thing. Mm. It's denying something. Mm. And it is not good for men, women, kids, whatever. It's not good. Um, And I think what we're seeing is that the demographics are starting to show that the rate of suicide amongst men, generally, and even men over the age of 50, uh, but it's the is much higher and it's moving higher as men are struggling with the idea of the complexity of the world that we live in. We are evolving truly, but we're still culturally still stuck back in a hunter-gatherer mode. And I think that's where roles are, are set, defined, probably out of necessity you know you need specialization you need people to do certain things in order to survive because it's a day-to-day hour-by-hour thing to keep yourself alive we don't live in that world anymore Mm -hmm. and i think that a lot of that suppressions has been shown by studies after study where men suppress that emotion it comes out somewhere else it'll come out in the form of perhaps violence or abuse or alcoholism, or drug abuse, or some way where it's dealt with in a negative way. So the idea, just to kind of get back to what you were saying, is I'm not advocating that men run around screaming, yelling like four-year-olds. I'm saying learn to regulate your emotions if you have issues on an emotional level. Mm -hmm. Regulating is different than suppressing and suppressing sense. to me is a dangerous game that men are, men have played. And I think it's, it's manifesting itself. You yeah. see it in our society where people have suppressed feelings of inadequacy or they suppress feelings of, of hurt or, or, or absence of love or whatever. And it comes out in a way that's negative. Yeah. That that's not, sense. that's not good.
0: That makes sense. No, that makes a lot of sense. All right. What, what about from the angle of, um, And again just very very logically here and i'm not sure if the logic holds but there's a lot of people that believe that um tolerance for discomfort is is like a key success driver in life and that uh, being able to deal with discomfort whether it be physical or or mental that's like that's like almost a superpower if you can overcome that and, and that ability that makes for you know Um, it helps make society better the the more tolerant because whether it be that you're creating something new and you have to go through so much pain and failure to get there or maybe again it's more physical and the things you're able to achieve is there any logic to the idea that if you are hypersensitive and I'm asking this as much for me I'm wondering if I'm I, 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 I let me say this quick quick side note I remember being a kid I used to cry all the time at everything and very much in the vein of what you're talking about I remember always being like ashamed of that and embarrassed to some extent, but I couldn't control. It. Like it's just if a teacher yelled at me, I knew I was going to cry because Absolutely. it just it impacted me very deeply. And so I very it very much resonates with me what you're saying. Um, but so, but back to the question: If you are hypersensitive, you are more likely to that discomfort that you feel that maybe is functional in life becomes more difficult to deal with because it's heightened that that feeling of it. Right. Is that is that detrimental in some way? Is that problematic? Because if we tap into more of that, does that not allow us to achieve as much?
1: Yeah, that's a very good point. And I write about that in the book. Um, The idea here is this, I think we're really talking about comfort zones, right? So um, highly sensitive people have, in many cases, um, use their comfort zone as a protective bubble it's a retreat it's a place to go and recharge and so forth and as a as as that's concerned uh i i think it's not a a, a bad thing i think actually pretty good because here's the opportunity to kind of relax and regroup but i'm not exactly an adherent of the idea that we just throw people like throwing kid in the deep end of the pool and saying jump out of your comfort zone and do this but i agree with you without change and without challenge, there's no growth and without growth, there's no life. So my, the, my ID idea, idealness is to expand your comfort zone, push it out, you know, blow it out. Like you're blowing up a balloon, push it outwards so that you can incorporate new experiences, some which will be uncomfortable, but that's how you learn to assimilate and grow and, and, and respond to a challenge. So that's the, one of the things i see this quite a bit in facebook groups and, and and areas where highly sensitive people are communicating is that it turns into kind of a bitch session about how lousy the trade is and how much trouble they're having and so forth and so on which i suppose is part of the function of that group it gives people an outlet to talk about it you know with other people and they you know usually have people that jump on and s- sort of say yeah i am like that do you feel this way But the thing about that is I hate to see people wallow in that and say, okay, you know what? I've got this trait. That gives me a free pass. Get out of jail card. I don't have to grow. I don't have to push myself to do something new or challenging or whatever. And I don't agree with that. I think as human beings, above and beyond individual uh, personality characteristics, we need challenge. We need growth. If we don't grow, we die. And whether you're dying internally or whether you're dying externally, it doesn't matter. You you will die if you don't grow. So, yeah, yeah that's how I look at
0: it. Yeah, it, it goes back to your value, I think, a little bit of I think of authenticity a lot. There, there's certainly like an action aspect of that of you should live your authentic life. But there's also a degree of like clarity it brings. So it's just identifying, OK, in, in this case, I am a hypersensitive person. Now, what do I do with that? How do I act in accordance to still live my best life, right? It just gives me that additional data point so that I can act in the most rational, pragmatic way to get to what I want to get to. It's not a get out of jail free card. It's not, you know, an excuse for something that allows for that. It's just, okay, I understand this more about myself. So now I can use it to move through the world.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And I, and I think we got to remember too, that high sensitivity or sensory processing sensitivity is an aspect of a person. Right, it is gotcha. not the sum total. You grew up in a different environment than I did. I grew up in a different environment than somebody else did. That's going to affect my personality. It's going to affect how I look at things, how I see things, how I do things. Mm. I like to think of sensory processing sensitivity as kind of like a lens that, or a prism that I look at life with. But what's on the other side of the prism is me those are the my ex- sum total of my experiences the t- sum total of what i grew grew into as i was growing up um and my experiences so i that's going to shape me just as much as anything else is mm-hmm. but it is a way i think of looking at life itself yeah. is, is using that sort of prism that high sensitivity provides you
0: yeah yeah what was that personal journey like for you when you started to realize and become knowledgeable about the actual trait and, and what it is? How quick was the transition to where you were able to actually be authentic and embrace it and say, okay, this is who I am now versus all that conditioning you had. What was that process like for you?
1: It's It's been a journey and I'm still on that journey, but I'd say for the last 10 years, it's been much easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and writing about it, you know, you always talking, therapists always say, well, write down your th- feelings and thoughts and journal and all that stuff. And I always looked at that as well. I don't know. I'm not sure I, that's going to help me, but actually writing the blog was a, was a godsend to me because it was like, it gave me a focus. It gave me, you know, I had questions that I wasn't seeing in other blogs and I wasn't seeing in the classic psychology literature on high, high sensitivity. Everything from relationships, although there is a lot about that, politics, sports. How can I be highly sensitive and want to watch my football team cream the other football team? Right, mm-hmm. that those things just didn't seem to jive with me. So I did my research, and as I did that, I started to realize that you know a, 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 that it was part of me, and it was okay. And I was finding that it was a connection to all the different aspects of who I was. From that, I wrote the books, which was a great journey for me because i always wanted to write. And this was sort of like one of my bucket list items. And I finally got, got that done and got two books out of it. And what I'm finding, Terry, is that and this is just, you know, I wrote this book basically to share with younger men, you know, and I'm finding that men my age, uh, men that middle aged, younger, whatever, it's not so much that this book was a Pulitzer Prize winning book. It was the idea that it was relatable. They understood. They had never seen some somebody put down on paper They a shared experience they had. And so, man, they were just like going, yeah, I really relate to the book. Mm-hmm. And we need more highly sensitive men doing that. Uh, to, to share about that, but that's kind of my arc. It took me ten years or so to get to it, and now I'm an. I feel like I'm an advocate for this, yeah. and I, you know, maybe even on the fringe of becoming an activist about it, because I really think it's important that men know about this, that have the, the trait
0: Have you? I'm not sure your relationship or if he's still with us, but have you, has your dad, have you ever had this conversation with your dad and kind of, has he heard about it?
1: You know, I, I lost my dad when he was uh, 17. So we never got to make that connection, you know, and it's funny because one of my favorite movies of all time was field of dreams. And that was the movie about, you know, Kevin Costner played a character who lost his dad and they had a strained relationship, which I did with my dad. And that last scene in the movie which of course usually wipes out all the guys in them because there's always something that all men share with this this absence of some connection with their father but when he wanted to play catch with his dad again it was to me like getting a second chance to be able to reconcile the differences they had that was a moving experience for me and every time i see it i still i still shed a tear about it because it's lost opportunity but to your point no i did not get a chance to do that i didn't get a chance to do it but i do have two sons and now i have a grandson and i've tried to mend that sort of via my relationships with them both of them are highly sensitive so do you think your dad we're speculating so however you this
0: question is do you think do you think he would have been one of those people that had he heard this concept was able to say geez i've been waiting for to hear this my whole life because i've struggled with this
1: he probably would i think he probably would um but you know you're looking at a guy from the world war ii generation and you know so many i saw so many and have known so many world war ii vets who came back from the horrors of war and it all went down inside of them and never came back out and it's very hard for them to express feelings of emotion especially emotions they think are weak emotions like like not being able to deal with this um and uh, and suffering from ptsd so i yeah i i think he would have come around to that but again it would have been um, had he not seen it he probably would have finished the rest of his life still struggling with yeah the difference right
0: well let me hit another one then again, I I understand it's provocative and I'm not suggesting it is, I'm just curious about it. You mentioned the World War II generation and and that's a question I think about often because I again, I totally agree with the idea of authenticity and I think there's, even if they're not highly sensitive men, the idea of men feeling like they have more permission to just be who they are and there's a vulnerable side to that, there's an emotional side, there's a sensitive side is a good thing. But let's make it practical for a second. That World War II is an example somebody could look at that and say, if if we had more highly sensitive men, if men tapped into this more, maybe we don't win that war. And, and, and I recognize as I say that, that's yeah. triggering right off the bat. And, and I get it. Maybe it's a ridiculous statement, but maybe there's truth to it. Is there something, is there an ugly truth to that, that the idea of being able to, to go back to that word, suppress it? Because if you don't, if you tap into that, you can't go to, to Germany and Normandy and storm the beach because it's just too horrific. And the right. world is so ugly that sometimes we do need to put those blinders on and just go get shit done I don't know is there anything to that is there any functionality at a societal level to that of well us?
1: I, I don't don't think because I'm advocating for the priestly cast which is the highly sensitive people that the warrior cast is not worth so you know, is okay. not valuable okay. um, and I, I I'm trying to move away from the idea because again we're talking about the spectrum again you're going to have people that are less impacted by and I, I just can't imagine that anybody comes out of a war and combat without some impact, you know, in many cases it's, it's, it's horrific, but the idea is that who's going to be most impacted by that. Right? And it's probably going to be the highly sensitive people are going to be the most, impacted. that doesn't mean they can't be warriors. That doesn't mean they can't go out and do it and suppress and do whatever it might, my dad, you know, and other men that I've known that were world war II or Vietnam or, or whatever. Sure, yeah. Uh, it's the same thing. But here's the question I would ask. And maybe World War II isn't a good example because I don't think there was a choice there. I think we were attacked, it was obvious, we had to respond and and this generation bravely did that. Um, But how many wars could we have averted if we had not had the warrior mentality to begin with, right? Uh, How many wars since World War II uh, were absolutely positively necessary? Or was it just this just you know, uh, gesturing of this sort of masculinity thing that we've got to go pound somebody in the dirt because we don't agree with something they did or whatever? Great point. You know, again, I'm not trying to say this war is necessary versus this war, but I think the idea of having um, a, a group such as the highly sensitive people who are the, we'll call the priestly group, the counselor group would maybe help advise how to avoid getting into confrontations as the rate we're doing now. I mean, it's, it's a smaller world, World War II, especially after they um, detonated the nuclear explosions, we entered into a different era. It's, you don't, you can't have casual wars anymore and they go on. And we just recently got finished up with a war that was gone on for 20 years. So, I mean, it's, it takes its toll we need to find a better way of dealing with this stuff i realize that's kind of pie in the sky but i really that's think yeah. i really think that if we don't
0: we may not be around here yeah well i think you're hitting on a
1: on a fundamental
0: philosophical question around the the nature of, of humanity in the world because i think there's some people that would hear what you're saying and say you're you're absolutely right like you're absolutely right if if we had more highly sensitive people involved or even just more people tapping into their sensitivity that whole idea of needing to fight wars would go away and there was so much to be saved there there's a, another side of that which says the the survival of the fittest that that's the natural law of the world and you're always going to have these for lack of a better phrase strong men who are going to try and exploit and take more power and take more things and if you if you don't match that then you become the one that loses out. So you need to fight force with force. I I think, I don't know if this is aspirational or pie in the sky, like you said, what, what I would like to believe is that that's more of a relic of that earlier age that we used to live in as humans, but we're evolving to a place where it doesn't have to be dog eat dog. It doesn't have to be survival of the fittest. We can find a way within that. But I don't know. It's a deeply philosophical question. It's just innate in our human nature is that we're always going to be looking to take and exploit and gain power. And if that's the case, it's, it's, it's tough. Maybe war is inevitable in that regard.
1: Right. And that's why I kind of say that it has a kind of a sort of a new age age of Aquarius kind of yeah, yeah. tone to it. When we live in a world in which there are so many bad players, and bad actors that have to be dealt with. I'm not suggesting that we, we we don't deal with that or we turn our heads away and, and and let them get away with whatever it is they're doing, especially, and I think even highly sensitive people can sense a, a wrong that's occurring right. and say that there's only one way to deal with this, yes. right? And we've got to go deal with it. Yeah. Um, so, but I do think that as a species, we really need to start rethinking how we do things. I mean, I, it's just to me... I, you know, I'm 67. I may be around for another 20 years if I'm lucky, but I've got a grand son. I've got, I actually got three grandchildren and my kids who are in their thirties right now. I want to see them have at least a half chance of a decent world, right? And the rate we're going at, I mean, we're already in a, in a I don't know. I don't I guess I need to rehash where we are in this country yeah. right now. Yeah but it's indicating to me that there are some troubles that are way deeply rooted and those things are values things that we've held on to for a long time boy they need to be relooked at yeah well the optimistic view and i've had a few people on the show who've
0: expressed this that you know it's kind of the the it gets worse before it gets better like those things are being exposed now so it feels like we're in the worst possible time but it actually is the prelude to us getting to that better place. And I, I hope that's true. <laughs> I th-
1: I think it is, I really do. And the more I talk with uh, like uh, younger uh, uh, people uh, uh, about this topic, I get the sense that they are also dissatisfied with how things have been. I mean, they're, they're the ones um, who are gonna inherit the earth, right? They're the ones that are gonna be living with this crap. Uh, 50 years from now. And I'm not, but they will. And so I think they're sensing that if we don't sort of right the ship in some way, shape or form, then there's not gonna be much of a world left. Yeah. And that's the problem. We're capable of making massive uh, environmental changes to the world that makes human, being, human habitation almost impossible, yeah. right? Because I mean, the world's gonna go on. But human beings may be in trouble if we don't do yeah. something. So, yeah. anyway, that's. Yeah. that's. Well, let me, let me, as we're coming towards the end, let me ask this question. You
0: mentioned before, um, you know, you've become an advocate for this and you, you hesitated, but even maybe an activist. I'm curious about that point. Um, how do I want to ask the question? What, what What does an activist look like for this, I guess, partially, but also why? Why was there a little hesitation there? Is it just because the connotation of activists sometimes could be something that people react to, or is there some hesitation to actually be that aggressive about it or something
1: like that? Well, Jerry, I don't what activism would look like with this. I really don't at this point. I don't, you know, um, who would i march against i mean what would i you know where? so i'm working with these guys that i have this group i put together and, and we're going to try to figure out what that is i i whether it's activism or advocacy what either way mentoring um anywhere i can get involved to get to, to move this along a little bit that's really what i'd like to do
0: with the end goal i would imagine of saying you want to help people, whatever their true authentic self is, you want to help them. And and for that, particularly that portion of the population, particularly male, typically that feel like they don't have permission to do that. You want to let them know you have permission to be your authentic self. If that's who you yeah. are. Yeah. yeah. And I,
1: and I realize authentic self in that kind of terminology is kind of become a cliche now, but the idea is that there is a core essence of true. who you are, I think. Um, and being able to tap into that being able to align with that. That really is the best way to live your best life.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can't, I couldn't agree with that more. I think. And it it took me a long time to get there too. I think. And it's it's as you said, this is just one aspect of, of right. an individual, right? So there's various aspects. I'm sure you have some too, that it, it does. It takes a long time. And you mentioned younger generation. I think that's something I see too, which is a good thing, is that they seem to not, and this is I think what ruffles feathers at times not to generalize, but they seem to not necessarily ask permission to be who they are. They just say, why would I not just be who I am? And I think for many of us, you know, I'm, I'm 30, I'll be 39 in a few months, obviously for your generation as well. There's a reaction to that, almost a resentment of like, but I wasn't able to do that. Like I wasn't, I had to ask permission and my permission was denied. So it feels unfair that the youth are just kind of being who they are. And it's such a weird dynamic because we should be happy for them. But there's something that ruffles us a little bit in that, I think. Yeah.
1: Well, that's—I guess—that's all a, a sort of what we call a transfer of power, right? It's just—it's how it's going to be. It's probably a good thing that they're okay. sort of taking a bull by the horns, because otherwise, it, it might drag on for a couple of generations of people learning to be able to be who they are.
0: Yeah, it's such a funny yeah. thing. It's so un—so unnatural to be natural, which is a weird yeah. thing. It's yeah. so unnatural for us to just be. Who well, are. I
1: mean, we're—we're—we're—you know—we are um, pack animals. We. Right there's a cultural norm that we all want to live up to and the acceptance by the culture that we're in, that's important. Uh, it's always been important and always will be. So there's that internal struggle, Yeah. Uh, but there is a sweet spot. And I think people can find that.
0: Well, that's what I love about what, what you're doing, Bill, and, and, and this conversation and, and this show in general. It's the reason I do it is that I think these things are hard. Everything you've been articulating yeah. through this specific to Being highly sensitive, but how that fits into our history and our human nature and our culture, and being a pack animal—these aren't easy things to work through and figure out. And I think writing about it, as you said, talking about it with groups, having conversations like this—it's—it's the only way to try and work through that and get to a better outcome. I don't think anybody has all the answers. I don't think we'll ever get to a point where, like, oh, here it is, here's the blueprint, just do this.
1: No.
0: Working through this allows us to try and continue that evolution from the hunter-gatherers, like we spoke about, to maybe more of where we should be today and living in the times that we live in. So I appreciate you a ton for for speaking on this topic, for kind of bringing this to light, because it's not an easy thing, as you said. Many people are kind of ashamed by it in some ways, not logical. Yeah, absolutely. Are, so yeah, it's, I appreciate it's, it's, you the... doing it and being mm-hmm. on
1: here. Okay, well, thanks so much, Terry, for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk Yeah, about I enjoyed
0: it. it enjoyed it a ton. And I'll put a link to your book in uh, in there for people that are interested in the blog if people want to hear more about it or read more about it. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Bill.